This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 133 with guest Rachel Luna. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. How are you? Welcome to another episode. And this is our first interview of the year. I have a very special guest. Rachel Luna is with us and she is the queen of confidence and very excited to have you listen into our conversation all about confidence and consistency. Her story is incredible. Wait till you hear it. And before I tell you a little bit about her, I have one quick announcement for you. If you're listening to this podcast the day that it comes out, the 18th of January, which I know a lot of you do, then today is the last day to sign up for your kick-ass masterclass. Nine weeks of clarity, tools, like-minded women. You can read all about it at kickassmasterclass.com. There's lots that comes with the masterclass, including an exclusive alumni group where you'll continue to get access to me after the class is over. But I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about the community that happens when you're in the class. There's something magical that happens. And this is something that I had no idea about before I started teaching these online classes. There's something truly magical. I don't use that word very often, but I cannot think of a better word for it. There's something truly amazing and magical that happens when a group of women come together for the same reason, a group of like-minded, a group of like-spirited women. And I have seen over and over again, and I've experienced this myself too, when I join groups as a student, it's yes, I'm interested in the teacher and the guide, but Really, I'm super interested on who else is coming. I want to know who are these other people that are interested in the same thing that I am. And that's what you'll get from your kick-ass masterclass. So I wanted to read you a quote. I am just finished reading the book Reveal by Megan Watterson, and I desperately want to have her on the podcast. I'm going to reach out to have her on here. I read her book reveal. The link to that book is in the show notes. If you're really interested in it, it's a great book. And I wanted to read you a quote because it's towards the end of the book and it just jumped out at me. And I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly what happens in the classes that I teach. So Megan says there is no greater spiritual tool than a bevy of women who believe in you. If you tell me your story that you long for love, that you're numb and lonely, that you lost your child, that you ache to have a child, that you've been abused, that you dream, that you cry at night, wondering where the brave little Tom girl is hiding, that you know, there's another way to live, that you know, there's more. My soul will root for you and want your freedom even more than my own. No matter how briefly I know or encounter you, if you are getting spiritually naked and showing the real you, I will want every possible blessing to come your way. This is not unique to me. This is inherent in every woman I have ever known. The truth is we want to love and support each other, no matter our differences. The truth is we know deep down we're on the same sacred team and our work right now is to love each other into wearing our wings. Again, Megan Watterson wrote those words and they just spoke to my soul and speak so much to the group work that I do. And I hope that 
it speaks to you and that you go over to kick ass masterclass and read about it. If it sings to your soul, then you can still sign up now. And if not, get Megan's book. It's in the show notes. And of course the link to kick-ass masterclass is in the show notes as well. And I hope to see you there. That's the only announcement I have for you today. And so let me tell you a little bit about our guest today, Rachel Luna. Like Xanax for your business, Rachel's genius superpower is helping you calm the chaos and the overwhelm and step into confident, consistent action. A former U.S. Marine, Rachel's no-nonsense, real-talk approach has led her to help her clients raise their confidence and their revenue, tripling and quadrupling their income on average. An international speaker, Rachel Luna has shared the stage with headliners like Gary Vaynerchuk, Sean Stevenson, Dan Martell, and has electrified audiences across the globe, including the United States, Europe, and Asia. Her firecracker energy and raw reality check approach to living life has attracted thousands to attend her workshops, take her courses, and join her challenges. She's also been featured in Latina Magazine, Success Magazine, and the Huffington Post, to name a few. So without further ado, here is Rachel. Hello there, Rachel Luna. Thanks for being here. Hello, Andrea. I am so excited to be here. I am so, I mean, finally I have you on and you and I have been friends for a long time. I already mentioned that in the intro and I mean, you're one of those people like when I think of confidence and focus and consistency, like I, (laughs) the first person I think of is Rachel. I want to back up about that first because I have some questions for sure about that, that I think would be really helpful, but we have to start with your story. So tell us what happened. You had a little bit of a rough start. And so just kind of take us back. And what was it like growing up for you? Oh my gosh. Okay. So my story question is always, I always feel like it's such a loaded story, but the long story as short as I can give it to you is both of my biological parents had AIDS and HIV And my biological mom passed away when I was three and a half years old. When I was four, four and a half years old, my father gave me to my godmother, who then became my legal guardian. But that one sort of instance, that one situation of my father giving me away really created a lot of story for me of feelings of unworthiness. I'm not good enough. And then to add insults to injury, not only was he very seldom present, but he ended up marrying a woman who had a daughter and he raised that girl. You know, she, I think she was about maybe 12 when they got married. And I remember growing up asking to hang out with my dad or do things. And he'd say he was going to come around, but then he wouldn't. And, Mm. you know, his excuse was always, I don't have any money. And my thought was like, well, but you're taking care of these other two women. Like, and I know that your wife doesn't work or, or maybe she did work, but like odd end jobs. Like I don't remember her ever having a job making up your own stories about it. Oh my gosh. The stories that I was making up was I'm not good enough. Men just leave me all of that. All of that. I had some other instances with men that I don't really discuss very much because many people in my family don't know, but I'll just let your mind wonder things that shouldn't happen to a little girl surrounding men happened. And that created a more story for me of I'm not good enough. Men just use me. I'm discardable. And both of my parents had been alcoholics as well. My mom, from what I'm told, she ended up getting into recovery before she passed away. But alcoholism is, you know, it's a disease. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's hereditary. And so I found myself in 
college, just, I mean, drinking all time. Oh, my father passed away when I was 19. I should say Uh the first year after he passed away, I was fine. I was like in this, I don't know what's the word, but I think maybe denial Uh where, and I'm sorry for your loss, but you know, your dad just passed away recently. So you know what I'm talking about where you put your head down and you're just getting things done. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and it just smacks you right in the face. And so I had been dating this guy who was a little on the oppressive side. And so everything just came crashing down at once. I started drinking, cutting class. I was in college by this time. I spent an entire semester at another school, at a party school in another state. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Shout out to Stony Brook University. I went to Penn State and I spent an entire semester at Stony Brook going to classes like I went to school there just to hang out with my friends and drink and emailing my professors at Penn State like, I'm grieving. My dad passed away. Can you give me an extension? And it was a miracle that I graduated. But finally, at some point, I pulled my head out of my butt and I realized I had a problem with alcohol. I went to see my guidance counselor and she was like, okay, well, you have to go to AA. And so I had to go to AA. I had to meet with my guidance counselor every Friday. I had to have all my teachers sign an attendance sheet to prove that I was going to classes. And the teachers, they had all worked with me because they knew I was grieving. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I had been a good student. I'd been involved in campus activities. Like I was a model student who just went off the rails. Yeah. And so I'm really, really, really grateful. And You know, that experience is one of the reasons why I find it so hard to give up on people Mm. and why I give more chances than people probably deserve. But because someone gave me a chance when I maybe I didn't deserve it, maybe I did. Who knows? But I'm grateful anyway. So I became sober and then. I was in the Marine Corps somewhere in the midst of all that. I had joined the Marine Corps Reserve and then 2003 happened and we were in a war and I got activated. And then I went to Iraq and Kuwait and I was part of Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom, which was an amazing experience. And then when I came back from deployment, I just never was able to get back into corporate America, Mm -hmm. right? Like by this time I had graduated college and everything like that. And I had a job working at Toyota national headquarters in their management training program. And I just never could get back into that because, you know, the pressing issue in a corporation is the PNL, the bottom line, how much money are we making? How many units are being sold? And in my mind, like people were getting killed and you guys only care about a spreadsheet. (laughs) Like you've got to be kidding me. So I went back on active duty looking for purpose. And that took me to Germany where I worked at the Launch Soul Regional Medical Center working with wounded warriors. And to this date, that has been the most rewarding experience I've ever had working for someone else for sure. But even when I think about the work that I do today, I still feel that working with the wounded warriors is like just like one little half step above what I do now in terms of fulfillment and reward, because getting to take care of people who have chosen to stand up and risk their life for you, it was really, really an honor. While I was there, I kept yo-yoing back and forth. I had two eating disorders growing up. Gosh, I'm really trying to condense this, but, but like, <laughs> so, like just to say, yeah, you're only in your thirties, like you've lived more of a life than so many people <laughs> Yeah, I had some issues. I was promiscuous. I had these eating disorders. I really like I was just trying so hard to find my I was just such a broken girl. 
you know, like, or at least that was a story that I was telling myself. I was such damaged goods mm-hmm. and I was just really, really trying to like make my way on this path anyway. So I'm working at the regional medical center. I am in like massive debt. My weight is up and down and my orders were coming to an end and I had to decide, am I going to stay active duty or what's going to happen? I had remembered a show called Starting Over. Do you remember that show? Yes. It, did. it wasn't okay. very long, was it? No, it wasn't. It was like two seasons, maybe. And it was such a shame because it was a really good show. It was like it was early reality TV. So there wasn't any drama in it. And I think that's where they went wrong. They didn't edit it for a drama. But that's where I first heard about life coaches. And so, I mean, this was like 2002, we're talking about. Yeah. And so in 2005, I remember this show. And I think to myself, I need a life coach. So I hired a life coach. And I, to this day, I can't remember what her name was, but I remember she was also a trapeze artist. (laughs) (laughs) And she helped me get my life together. I got out of debt. I, something happened. I think my weight issues were all in my mind, to be honest, because something happened and I never struggled with my weight again. You made goals and you had the accountability and you had a cheerleader and you followed through with it. And she told me while we were working together, you would be an amazing life coach. And I remember laughing at her. I was like, you are so crazy, girl. Nobody's going to listen to me like with all my shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she's like, um, say bad words on this podcast. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So she was like, yeah, right now. But once you get it together, people are going to want to know how you did it and they will follow you. And you have such an inspiring story that like this will work for you. And I'm thinking what's inspiring about like what my story. Cause here's the thing, even though I had grown up with, with these, you know, events that these unfortunate events that had happened or occurred in my life, I never felt like my life was shitty. I never felt that way. Right. Cause my godmother, God bless her. This woman, my, I call her my mom. I call her mommy to this day, like a little girl when I, hi, mommy, like I got 36. <laughs> And I still call my mom, mommy, but like, she was amazing. She gave me love her family, which is, you know, obviously my family now, but then at the moment they accepted me like their own, Mm -hmm. my quote unquote sister, who's not my biological sisters, my two sisters, they call me sister. Like they love me like their own. So I grew up loved yeah, and I grew up cared for. So I never felt that my life was as bad as other people who would hear my story were telling me it was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like people are telling you, Oh my God, your life. And I'm like, but my life, you know, it was just a couple bad things that happened. Yeah. I didn't realize that consciously I was okay with my life, but subconsciously I was deeply, deeply hurt. Anyway, I got my life coaching certification and you know, you, you know how many hours you need for coaching to actually get your certification. And so I did all that. And I was working part-time for the, not working part-time. I was doing the life coaching stuff part-time and still working in the Marine Corps. Then I got out of the Marine Corps. I started working for the army, not in the army, but just as a civilian. And then I met my husband and had a couple kids and then started my business six years ago. Gosh, six years ago. Wow. Okay. So Well, just within that story, do you feel like you had kind of like an extra chromosome or something that gave you resilience or did you have to do the work? Did you have to like go to therapy and like keep seeing your guidance Mm. counselor and like read all the books and things like that? 
Listen, ladies, since I can remember, literally, since I can remember, I have had a therapist. Okay. Or a counselor or something. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> I was, yeah. I well, well to be honest, like, at oh, first, was I was about... Resilience. <laughs> I was about to say that. Like, nah, that's it. No, 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 no. Like... And then again, that's why it's hard for me to give up on people because there were so, I'm going to get choked up. There were just so many people in my life who never, I mean, they just loved me. Strangers have always loved. I have always felt so loved and so taken care of. Now, that being said, I also went through periods of feeling a lot of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And I know that kind of sounds very contradictory because how could you feel unworthy and yet so loved at the same time? And I really can't explain that. I'm going to stop you for a second because I think that that is real life. And I think that that's what a lot of our journeys look like. And I'm always telling the truth over here on the podcast and telling my people, you know, the hard times that I have still from doing the work and doing the work. But let me ask you, do you feel like when you go through them now or in the last several years that those moments, when you drop into those moments, they're few and far between and or you have the tools to bring yourself out of them more quickly? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, so quickly now. But I mean, since I remember in the fourth grade, having a guidance counselor meet with me every single week for years mm-hmm. until I graduated. And then I went into therapy and, then I, and I have had therapists on my life. I mean, I was back in therapy last year. And I think that there's such a stigma around that. And I don't understand, like, get the help you need. Yeah. Yeah. Get the help you need. Like, so what? And so, you know, my husband is a Marine, an active duty Marine. I'm a former Marine. And I remember the stigma of going to, to mental, right. Mm -hmm. Or mental health, or I can't remember what we call the clinic, but like, yeah, mental health, the mental health clinic. And now thank God that stigma is changing in the military where they really want you to get the help. But those tools, like now I get on a funk. I, first of all, I think the difference or the distinction is that back then when you don't have the help you need, or when you don't have the tools, you don't even realize you're slipping into a funk. Yeah. And cause right. Cause people's it's, baseline. Right. Right. And so now like, I'm so aware I can actually identify the moment where the funk is like the aura of a mm-hmm. funk. Like I feel that bad boy you coming on. Funk. Yes. Like you could see it coming and then you, but here's the thing. Like we decide, we decide if we're going to go into that dark hole and we decide how long we're going to stay there. And I think it's fine to sometimes step into the abyss, right? Step into it so that you can really feel your feelings so that you can grieve or process or do whatever you need to do. But when you take that step in and this, I'm not a psychologist, right? This is my personal experience theory. But when you take that step in, you take that step in knowing that I'm not going to stay here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel my feelings for X amount of time. And this is what I'm going to do to pull myself out of it. And these are the people that I'm going to enlist to help me to check on me so that I don't stay here. That's key. I talk about that a lot too over here about your support system and not isolating and et cetera. All right. So let me switch gears and let's start with the basics. What is confidence to you in your words? That's so funny. Like everyone calls me the confidence queen, the confidence expert. I spoke at an event this past weekend and they were like, Rachel Luna is like the confidence queen. Like that's the person you go. Oh, you hate it, huh? (laughs) um, No, no, no. I love that people, (laughs) I love that when people work that way, they feel that way. But 
What I don't love is that people automatically assume that I always feel confident because of it. And it's funny that you asked me that because I don't really have a definition for it more so as I associate it with a feeling, which mm-hmm. probably helps no one right now. But for me, confidence is, <laughs> sorry guys, but that's the thing. Like I'm an empath. I'm very feelings based. Yeah. And so for me, confidence is a knowing. If I had to put a word to it, confidence is a knowing. Mm-hmm. And it's a knowing that no matter what fear you have, what limitations you think you have, what setbacks you perceive, it's this knowing that you're going to figure it out. You're going to get through it. You're going to take that action. You know, you're going to be in some kind of motion, Mm -hmm. some forward motion. And I don't even want to say forward motion. It might be some backward motion because sometimes you have to take a step back to get back on track. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm a very, I'm a wordy person. And so (laughs) if I may, the way I describe confidence is it's a combination of things. And I've never, I haven't either ever had to like really explain it. So I think it's a, it's a place of courage. It's living your life from a place of courage and knowing your values and knowing what they actually look like in your life instead of just professing them and saying like, Mm-hmm. I have a value around honesty or perseverance or like, what does that mean on like a day-to-day level when shit hits the fan in your life? What does that mean? And it's honoring those values and stepping into courage. And that's things like setting boundaries. And I also think that there's an element of self-trust in there because I don't mm-hmm. think that we can have self-confidence if we don't trust ourselves. I know that I didn't. So I want to challenge you on that for just a second. (laughs) (laughs) Just a second. Now I'm challenging you so we can have a discussion. Not because I think I'm right in the, Uh no, 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 not going to try to take over, but I just want to challenge you in that for a second. Cause don't you think it's possible to have like, like I mentioned, confidence is this knowing. So this knowing that you can do something, even if, you don't really have that. What was the word you just used? Trust. Like even if you don't know if it's going to yeah. work out, even if, yeah. right. Even if you don't trust yourself completely. And, be, and the reason I say that is because sometimes other people have a lot more courage and confidence in you than you have in yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you have those people in your life, their confidence in you gives you this sort of layer of confidence. Yeah. So it's not really that you trust yourself, but because other people trust you, you trust them and their opinion of you to be able to take that action. Yeah. I think that works for some people. I never had that. I mean, I had people that like believed in me and things like that, but I didn't believe in myself and Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time and I don't think I'm the only one, but I had a really hard time seeing myself the way other people saw me for a long time. I really struggled there. But when I say, trust yourself. Like I'm not saying that you're confident that things are going to work out. So if you, maybe you went through a really bad breakup or divorce and you're like, I'm not going to date and you just don't date for a few years. And that's, I think that's actually really wise for some people. And Mm -hmm. then you're thinking about starting again. It's not about, okay, I'm going to meet someone and it's going to work out. That's my self-trust. No, 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 no. I'm saying like, you're going to meet someone and Be in that vulnerable place of it might not work out. It might totally crash and burn. But the self-trust comes in in that you know that you're going to be okay no matter Mm. what happens. I have that for a long time. My whole life like depended on what I could control and what I couldn't control. And I was like, it was like living in fear. 
I think that's mm-hmm. another aspect of confidence too, is not living your life in fear, which a lot of us do. It's what we're taught. Well, but here's the thing, right? I think that you can still operate from a place of fear. Same so, because, okay. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I have read so many books about fearless this and fearless that, but I'm still afraid of flying, but I still fly, right? Like I'm, I fly all the time. And like, even just the other day before yesterday, I was on a plane. The plane was bumpy. I mean, it was so much turbulence. And, and of course I was scared cause I'm afraid of flying, but I still get on the damn planes all the time. Yeah. So I think that there's something to be said here. And the reason why I want to bring, highlight this is because there are people who are waiting to be fearless to do things. And I don't think that you should be waiting until you're fearless. Cause guess what? Those fears may never go away. They may subside. And you know, I don't believe that my fear of flying is ever going to go away. And the reason why I say that, and that might be a mindset block. Ooh, I don't know. Maybe I need to investigate that more, <laughs> right? That might be a total mindset block that I have, but I have gone to classes. I have worked with people to overcome my fear of flying and to not be scared at all. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I feel good in the air. But as soon as we hit that first bump of turbulence, all the fear comes rushing back uh-huh. because now I have no control. And so here's the thing. You don't need to be fearless to do scary things. And that's what I hope people will recognize that have the confidence to go out and try things, even though you're scared, like just do it scared. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I talk about that. All, like, how are we this good of friends? And we've never had this conversation before. This is the first first. Because we're always so busy talking about other things. <laughs> <laughs> I tout all the time about, and people know that I'm not a fan of the word fearless because I think that it breeds perfectionism in personal mm-hmm. development. I think that like you were saying, people are waiting for this magical place of fearlessness or they look at people they admire and they think, though, she must be fearless. No, no. I like fear. I use fear as a barometer, like to give Mm -hmm. me information to show me the places in my life where I need to stretch and grow. And, you know, and our fairy godmother, Brene Brown, tells us that every (laughs) day you can have fear and courage at the same time. I tell my kids Mm -hmm. this all the time. Like you can be brave and scared at the same time. We all are. You just decide what to do. And you're going to be scared during it. So for everyone listening who hasn't heard me rant about that before, you're welcome. So we have to <laughs> there, you and I. <laughs> for sure. Beautiful. I'm glad we've come for a full circle on this. Yeah. All right. So you also claim that consistency is a huge factor in your success in your personal and professional life. So tell us about that. Talk to us about consistency. <laughs> did you just say claim? <laughs> I did. You claim it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. I chuckled at the beginning when you were like, you're known for consistency because I was notoriously known for inconsistency for many, many, many years. And I'm still, you know, mastering consistency. It's really a choice, but things really didn't start coming together for me until I became consistent. Mm-hmm. And consistency is really just honoring your word and your commitment to yourself, believe it or not. And the reason why I feel that so many people are inconsistent, myself included, for all those years in the past is because we don't value ourselves. Like we don't, let me explain that. So Andrew, you ask me to do something by tomorrow. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to let you down. So I'm going to get it done by tomorrow. By the same token, I put something that's equally important on my to-do list for tomorrow, but I'm okay doing everything else for everybody else before my own thing, because I don't want to let anybody else down, but I'm okay if I let myself down. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so what happens is we start letting everybody else's stuff take precedence over our own stuff. And we might claim it's, oh, because I have a servant's heart. I just love to be there for people. I want to feel needed or whatever. But at the end of the day, it, mm-hmm. well, but not only that, at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that you don't think on a subconscious level that what you want is important enough to override everybody else's needs mm-hmm. because you don't want to be selfish. Yeah. You don't want to be that. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. When I recognized that it was like someone smacked me right in the face and I was like, Oh, well, that I'm not okay with that. I really decided I'm not okay letting myself down. Yeah. And so now it's so now it's a game for me and it's like a competition with myself like how often can I honor my own commitments? Like how so a perfect example is that on Mondays I have team calls with my team and I hate to miss these calls because I feel like it's the leader in me is letting my team down. So yesterday I was, I'm traveling and I needed to shift, but I did not want to cancel the call. So I reached out to my team and said, anyway, we could do this a couple hours later. And they were fine with it, but I showed up. And to me, I like put a little note. I made a note about how happy I was that I honored myself. And then the same thing with an email that I sent out to my list every Thursday, I am responsible for having it done on Mondays so that my team can then do what they need to do to get it out. Uh-huh. And I was up late last night because I was not going to go to sleep without getting this done. Could I have sent it and finished it today? Sure. What's one day? It doesn't matter. They still have two more days to get their job done. But I made a commitment to myself that Mondays are the days that I get this done. And so now I just, it's me competing against myself. It's me beating my own personal best. Uh And when you can do that, you'll start to see that a lot of things come together for you in your life. When you start to honor your priorities, people's level of respect for you increases. Not that you should be looking for people's respect, but I'm just telling you some of the ancillary benefits that come along with being consistent and taking charge and going for what you want. Well, that's also setting boundaries. You've set boundaries Mm. with yourself and with other people and you are consistent on those. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gots to live with boundaries. Boundaries are hard for a lot of people. <laughs> hard um, I get that. Well, here's the thing. I think it's the approach because people think that you have to have this major conversation to set a boundary. Confrontation. Yeah. And you don't, Mm -mm. it could just simply be like, Oh, I'd love to help you with that. But unfortunately I already have commitments. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Or I don't take clients on Fridays. I mean, I've had to say that so many times or, or evenings or weekends and yeah. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Exactly. And like, (laughs) you know, I had some clients that would like text me at all kinds of random hours. And then it was just on our next call, like, Hey, got your text message. Just want to let you know. I respond between these hours and these hours. So if you don't hear from me, I'm I'm not ignoring you. I just don't respond during that time. Mm -hmm. And FYI, I turn my phone on do not disturb at this time. So if it's an emergency, like a life or death emergency, you can call me two times in a row. But I mean, like 
really somebody has to be dying. Mm-hmm. And most people, nine one one. Right. You shouldn't be calling me. Well, I mean, really think about it. Like someone's on a ledge. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Right. So, but it doesn't have to be a hard conversation. What really people are afraid of. Here's what I've seen with some of my clients. They're not even afraid of the confrontation itself or quote unquote, they're not afraid of the conversation. They're afraid of what the person is going to think of them. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. You need to make a decision is what they think of you so important that you're willing to sacrifice your personal happiness, your ability to achieve your goals so that they feel good. I mean, does that make sense? No, it, it doesn't. doesn't Steve. Maybe it does to you. And well, if I it does to you listening and, and boundaries, I think with women are tough. There's misconceptions around them. It can be for someone who's not well-versed in it. It can be a very tricky conversation. And for those of you listening who are interested in more about that, I have two episodes. I'll link to them in the show notes, along with all of Rachel's information. I have two episodes specifically on boundaries that I think will be helpful for people. So I really want to ask you, I want to ask you about your, I don't actually know this about you. I might be totally making this up, but on your Insta stories and on Facebook, you do a lot of like rituals and planning and you have like really beautiful notebooks where you write things in. Like, Mm -hmm. tell us about that. Like, like is how important is that to you? And like, do you just like pretty notebooks? Like what's going on with that? Tell us, tell us. What are you doing? You are not making that up. I am obsessed with journals. Like you, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. We're a different kind of writer in that like, or maybe I'm making this up about you. But for me, I always imagine you that words just pour out of you, right? I don't know. So at my heart, I'm a writer and I love go to Marshall's or TJ Maxx. Marshall's is really my favorite. They really have the best selection of beautiful journals for dirt cheap, any like seven ninety nine journals that are usually like 20 bucks. Anyway, so I love a good journal. There's something about a fresh piece of paper. I love the smell of books, but journaling is really, I, since I can remember, I've always had a diary or a journal of some sort. I don't journal obsessively every single day. I've tried. And what I've discovered about myself is that if I didn't like the way the day went, I don't like to journal about it because I don't like to keep record of wrong. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, I don't like to journal down the negative. But what I do love my journals for is I like to tell stories that have not yet happened. And what I mean by journaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I do like manifestation journaling. Mm -hmm. So I write the world as I want it to be, as I intend it to be. Mm -hmm. And I got it as it is, as it's actually happening. Yeah. So, so Andrew, you know, I left my husband a couple months ago. I got my own apartment Mm -hmm. and that was like, that was really scary for me. And I remember journaling August before I even moved into my apartment, before I even got an apartment, I remember journaling, like I found my dream apartment. I had an easy conversation with my husband and he agreed with me that this was for the best. And he even helped me move in and get things set up in my new apartment. Right. This is (laughs) none of this had happened, but this was like how I wanted things to go. And now the conversation wasn't easy and it didn't go as beautifully as I had written it in my journal. But over the course of the next, you know, maybe six to eight weeks while I was in that process, he actually did end up coming to my apartment, setting up my bed frame and everything for me in my new apartment, sending me flowers to my new home. And, you know, I don't know 
if the journal had any, I believe the journal had a lot to say, <laughs> but that could just be woo woo. But for me, it's just, it's a comfort thing. Yeah. I love. And so I have now the one thing I'm obsessed about, and it's like a little bit of a neurosis is my manifestation journal is only for manifesting days. So then I have to have another journal for great ideas. Then I have to have another journal for like team meeting. Then I have to have another journal for like block. So I have random. If you go to my house right now, you'll probably see about six or seven that I'm leaving <laughs> working with at any given time. So that's what the journals. Now, the other thing I do is I am big into planning and using a day planner and scheduling things out it gives me comfort. Do I follow the plan to the T every single day? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But I like having a roadmap. I like having, excuse me, a sense of direction. And so what I do, and this is a really helpful tip for those of you who are like, I don't know how to get my life together. I don't know where to start. I like to do a brain dump. So I write everything down that I can possibly think of that I want to get done. And it's usually a mix of everything, business, house, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now for the record, I'm a little neurotic in that area. So it's not one long list. Like the business has its column and the house has its column, (laughs) but it is, yeah, but it is all coming out onto paper. And then I go through and I ask myself like, okay, what do I really have to do to drive my goals and dreams and ambitions further now? So that eliminates quite a bit off the list. Then I look at, okay, what can I delegate to other people that eliminates a lot off the list. And then it's like, okay, what's left over? Do these things fit? No, they don't. Okay. Well, I'll save it and I'll come back to it. And then I just circle the priorities. And from that, I plan out my week. Okay. So I'll I'll do this on this day. I'll put this here. I'll put that there. And I try to get as much, you know, sort of framework laid out in my monthly calendar. And then every night I will do a quick brain dump for the next day. And then I'll plan my day for the next day. And again, each day doesn't always go as planned, Mm -hmm. but at least when I wake up, I don't have that anxiety of, I don't know what to do with myself. I know exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. And you sleep better at night when you get all your thoughts and ideas out of your head and onto paper. Because one thing I always say is that your thoughts and ideas are like children. They need attention and they will not leave you alone until you give them attention. Mm-hmm. Like you've got your kid, mommy, 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 mommy. And then when you finally look at the kid in the eye and say, yes, you give them that even, I mean, you know, with kids, give them five or 10 minutes of attention and they're good for like another 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. They will, will leave you alone. And that's how your ideas are too. Give them a little bit of attention. Yeah. I love hearing how other people sort of plan and organize and, you know, well, and I think it's a little bit different for a lot of our listeners because we work for ourselves and we're in charge of businesses. But even if you work a nine to five, like you still have all of the things. If you have children, you have extracurricular activities and your hobbies, and I hope you have hobbies and all these, you know, podcasts you want to listen to, books you want to read. And I am a big fan. I do mine a little bit differently, but I like you, like I can't remember the last time I started a day and didn't know what I was going to do that day. Mm-hmm. I always know ahead. And again, like you, I'm flexible, but I am a, uh, sometimes I am a planner and I feel like sometimes I use it to numb out. Like I will admit that <laughs> when I'm feeling really stressed or if I'm in crisis and there's like stuff I don't want to deal with in my personal life, I will go up to my office and be like, okay, 
what project, even if it's like in 2019, can I plan out right Yeah. Okay. I'm guilty of that too. I'll be honest. I am guilty of that too. I think a couple, I think it's it's control. I think it's procrastination and avoidance. Oh, probably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that's what it is for me. So like right before the new year, I totally, I spent like two days like with poster board and markers and like mapping things out and saying I was planning, we're not going to use any of that. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) That was just for me to avoid like actually sitting down and working. And so I do a lot of my planning on paper, Mm -hmm. but it's so funny because at the end of the day, I always just end up looking at my phone which has my like online calendar with my appointments and things like that. Because if it's really, really important, it will make it into my phone calendar. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yes. And, and, you know, for anyone listening, I also encourage you to, I just want to kind of swing back around to what you were talking about. I said the term pray rain journaling. That's a name I used to, one of my colleagues, her name is Jeanette Ma. She talked about it. This was years ago in the beginning of when I launched your kick-ass life. And I talked a lot more about the law of attraction than I, I don't as much anymore, but it's, I won't tell the story, but it's like this old folk tale. That's where the term pray rain journaling came from. I won't get into it. You can Google it. And I did the same thing. I haven't done it in years, but I wrote a journal. This was before I got my first book deal. And I wrote out about how awesome it was going to be. And check this out. I wrote a blog post about this. I'll link to it in the show notes. I wrote that I wanted to, I wrote like, wouldn't it be awesome if a publisher contacted me and wanted to publish my book? Like that never happens. Like it doesn't happen very often. It's rare. And guess what happened? (laughs) Oh, I'm writing that down today. I'm going to spend some time in my journal. Well, and that's, that was a ritual I used to have every day that I've gotten out of the habit of doing. And it was answering the question every day, wouldn't it be awesome today if it was Mm, encouraged to, by the mentor that I had at the time, it was encouraged to write like grandiose things. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if I got a tax refund for $10,000 from 2001 that I didn't know existed? Wouldn't it be awesome if, you know, President Obama called me to give me an award for being awesome. You know, just like, I am taking notes on this. Like, sister. You know, I just pulled out my journal. No bullshit. Sky's the limit. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I have it in the blog post. I have a screenshot. I took a picture of my journal and the date where I wrote, wouldn't it be awesome if a publisher contacted me? And I don't think it was very long later. It was a few days later. An editor from Adams Media <laughs> emailed me and I was like, shut the f- up, you guys. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's probably a scam. It turned out to not be a scam. And they published my first book. And here I am, you know, years later on my second one. And then also just a side note on that. It's not just about that kind of journaling from what I was told. It's not just about writing down the facts of what you want to have happen. It's the feeling around it. Mm-hmm. How's it going to feel? How are you going to feel when your husband is really great about the conversations. How's it going to feel when that publisher wants to publish your book and really sinking into that? So yeah, I should get back in the habit of that because it worked. Let's do it. I say, you know what? Challenge to us all. Challenge Go accepted. get yourself a fancy, fancy notebook and 
It doesn't even have to be fancy, but I like fancy notebooks. So I'm not as particular. Like I like post-its and I'm just, I'm down for whatever. I have one more question for you before we wrap it up. You've been so helpful. Okay. And for anyone listening who's just dying to go, you can find Rachel at rachelluna.biz. And we will of course link up to that on the show notes. And my last question for you is what surprises you about the work you do with women? Ooh, Andrea, that is a great, what surprises me? I don't think anything surprises me because I believe so much in the women that work with me that when they slay their goals, I'm just like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. Noble, like straight up. (laughs) And let me tell you why, because First of all, I think that the women that invest in working with me are all, they already have some sort, there's like an it factor about them Mm -hmm. already. They don't even know that they have it, but I see it. And so when I start working with them or, or when they sign up for my courses or anything like that, I already have a lot of faith in them. And I'm so committed to helping them get there that I just know if we work together, if we become co-creators, like there's no limit to what they can achieve. So I'm very rarely surprised when amazing things happen. Like a client of mine, we were reminiscing and she started working with me when, and she's in network marketing, right? So when she started working with me, she had 200 people in her downline and now she has over 4,000. Wow. And I'm not surprised. Like she did the work, like she really showed up for herself. So Okay, I got it. I I'm surprised about the work. I I don't think I'm surprised about anything. I'm just so proud of the work that I do. And I'm so proud of the women and the men because I have worked with men and and there are still some men that, you know, knock on my doors. But I'm just so proud of the women and men for taking that very scary leap of faith to invest in themselves and to work with me. So I'm surprised at their courage. How about that? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I hear you. I'm the same way. I do have some surprises. Just I'm the same way. Like when you put in the work, like when you show Mm -hmm. up and do the work, you are going to see huge changes in your life. Like I'm, that doesn't surprise me because it it happens all the time. I got one. I'm surprised that the women I work with don't see how freaking amazing they are right off the bat. How about that? Mm-hmm. totally surprised about that because they're amazing all of them mm-hmm. and the men shout out to my boys <laughs> okay so show notes are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash one three three everything we talked about here will be over there or you can go visit rachel at rachelluna.biz thank you so much for being here rachel it's been just a pleasure Thank you so much for having me. Love you, girl. And until next time, ass kickers, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.